podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to AI Scouted. I am not Dave, because he's pretending to be busy. Um, or he's broke his laptop, which I think was fair after the Leeds game. But I am joined by Carl. How are you doing, Carl? Rubbish. Yes. How are you? No one else was... Uh, dreadful. <laughs> good, good. Yes. Um, you weren't on Raw, Carl, so... <laughs> you have to talk about the Leeds game for a bit. Um... We all know it was dreadful, so we don't need to do that whole shtick, but did you think it'd get worse, considering how the season's been? Because that Leeds game was top of the crap pile that was this season for me. Uh, Did I think it would get worse? I thought there was a fair chance it could stay the same, (laughs) and uh, and fairly inconsistent, but I think... I mean, back-to-back results and defeats against Forest and Leeds, and both being in the in the relegation zone uh, ahead of the matches. Obviously, it's uh, well, it's something. I don't really want to don't really want to put too many labels on it. To be perfectly honest, because like you said, we all know what it is and how bad it is. Uh, I, I mean, I thought it was the wrong tactical setup. I, I thought it, the going with the diamond so open as it is was just asking for trouble against Leeds. To be honest, uh, it was all, already going to be a basketball game backwards and forwards just because of how they play and how we kind of have to play at the minute and uh, it was not any better with a big gaping hole in the middle of the pitch again not a, not uh, helped too much by our own individual errors obviously but uh, there's a there's a big problem to solve in midfield at the minute off the ball and I don't really think that we're very close to doing so yeah it's just really odd I mean I think Fabinho's probably the player who's come out with the most scrutiny after the last couple of games. I mean, Gomez obviously up there as well with the very stupid blind passing. But for us to have, to even before the nightmare of this season, our season was very dependent on Fabinho because he's obviously our only real number six and our Henderson can play there. But obviously he's been performing dreadfully um, as an individual as well. But... You mentioned the system there, but when a player is struggling that much, why do we then let him cover about a million yards of open space? Well, that would be a good question, even if he was in good form, to be perfectly honest mm. with you. Uh, I'm really surprised that we haven't just stuck with the four four two. It's you know, It's not perfect, and we're not playing perfectly anyway, but the diamond, as we are at the minute, with the, with the side midfielders not really being suited to it with the deep midfielder obviously <laughs> being in the state that he is at the minute I, I know there's not too much scope to rotate because of injuries and absences and that I just uh, I don't know I don't think we have to go into too much about the tactical side of it at the minute just because there are so many individuals mm-hmm. underperforming as well to be honest with you I mean even not playing well we still should have won that game you know, we still should have had three of the chances that we did have should have ended up in the net and if that happens then you put off the the problems and the discussion of the problems for another day, at the very least, even if you don't actually solve them in that moment. But at least it keeps you in touch with you know, the objectives that we do have left for the season and everything else. But not having that mental resilience anymore is a really, really big problem for us. Not having that you know, certainty, the guarantee at the back, the near... I wouldn't say completely faultless because I don't think we were ever completely faultless just because of the high risk way we approach games. But we always had like that very, very assured sense of self. Even if we did concede chances, we would create more at the other end. Or if we, even if we did concede the chances, we have the individuals to stop them going in anyway. 
And we don't really have any of that at the moment. It's a it's a it's a big big worry at the minute, isn't it? Yeah, it's basically Allison in a big game of heads and volleys at the minute. <laughs> so it's uh, it's not really pretty. Um, anything else to take away from the Leeds game apart from just the overall shitness? Because I think everyone thought the Forest game was the real low, but to perform like that against Leeds, who I think we're in a worse vein of form than what Forest were at Anfield. We've lost Van Dyke's record, we've lost our home record. And it's not like we dominated a game against Leeds. It was quite, I'm pretty sure it was quite even in possession. And both teams had chances, but like we weren't even treating them like the relegation team. It just felt like an even game at times. That's shocking. Yeah, I mean, I mean we, we had more possession overall, but it was much closer in terms of you know decent things that we did with the ball compared to them, wasn't it? It was uh, mm-hmm. it was not controlled, that's for sure. Uh, you know, having more possession is not really the element of the game. It's where you have the possession, it's the areas that you're dictating where the game is being played in, and we didn't do that at all. We didn't really have control of the game. We didn't stop them playing in areas which hurt us. We didn't keep them under pressure for any real sustained periods, I didn't think. I know there were a lot of shots towards the end of the game and the rest of it, but it wasn't like that they were like desperately defended with nine men inside the box for 10 minutes at a time or anything like that. It was just a very wild, open game. Uh, if this had been like a performance three months after Klopp took over the team, I wouldn't have been surprised. But now, at this stage, obviously, it's not what we're accustomed to now. We're usually so dominant in the area of the pitch that we do play in, even if we're not at our best or playing really, really quickly, we still seem to like control uh, the spaces on the pitch where we want the game to operate in. But this season, that's, that's gone. That's just so far out the window, it's unreal. Uh, what else do we take from that? I, I hope that what we do take from it is the massive kick up the ass that it should have been already, but now that it's happened at Anfield, it has to be. You know, because, I mean, we, we've spoken before about Liverpool's European form, uh, a European approach, let's say, rather than form being maybe more suited to playing the deeper four four two and a bit more counter-attack and all the rest of it. And maybe this season, <laughs> going the distance in Europe is our best route back into the Champions League. Well, at this rate, probably finishing third in the group would have been better and trying to go the dif- distance yep. in the Europa League because we're not playing anywhere near good enough to, to beat teams over two legs, let alone a number of them and, and the best sides in Europe, obviously. So at this moment in time, I think it's more of the same of, of what we've been saying for the last few weeks. We've got to get through this period somehow, getting enough points just to stay in touch and sort things out between you know the December break January transfer window and before Europe starts up again because the league is a, an absolute abomination at the minute. Are you on board with Operation Finish 8 for them? I really don't want the Europa Conference League, that's for sure. And I, I, I don't like the Europa League anyway. So yeah. if it's not going to be Champions League, I don't see the benefit of uh, the other European competitions, to be honest. Absolutely. None of none of that shite for me, because I will be doing the Raws for them, and I won't be doing the Raws for them, so you can all get in the bin. Um, yeah, so we'll get on we'll get on to the dreaded Napoli game, um, because who wants to sit around talking about Leeds? Um, we can go top of the group, Carl. Do, do you fancy a 4-0 win here? Uh, kind of. I mean, they're but that depends on who you're asking me is going to win the 4-0. <laughs> uh, uh, look, it, a lot of this is going to depend, obviously, on how much both teams rotate. Uh, Apple's form is just ridiculous at the minute. Really, really good run of uh, victories. Really, really strong again at the weekend. Those two in attack again. Um, just just like unplayable at the minute, to be perfectly honest with you. Crouch Scalia was outrageous again. Set up a Simeon for two goals. Scored one himself. Simeon then got a hat-trick. 4-0 against Sassuolo. And it was just, a, again, a very, very dominant, very fast-paced, very offensive-minded, electric performance. Basically, pick out any football-describing words which are positive you like, and they are Napoli, and they are not Liverpool at this moment in time. So you'd imagine, obviously, given the fact that they are that we're both through, there is going to be an amount of rotation. Uh, they face Atalanta at the weekend, which is obviously a big game in the, in the context mm-hmm. of, of Serie A. All of them are at the minute, but Atalanta are second, Napoli are top, so it's huge for them. So I would imagine they'll rotate as much as they possibly can uh, while still remaining 
either reasonably competitive or keep maybe one or two people fresh who have been in and out of the side, that sort of thing. Uh, Liverpool's, I'm not really sure. I mean, we've seen Klopp before go into these games where everyone wants everybody rested and he plays like three or four really big players. Uh, I think, was it Jota a couple of years ago got injured at the Midtjylland game, which was basically yeah. a dead robber. Uh, and we obviously have fewer options at this moment in time to rotate as well. So it's either going to be much the same as it was, you know, especially in attack and that sort of thing, or else we're going to be bringing in proper kids and proper backups. I mean, you could probably pick out a handful of players and we'll go through the squad in a bit and see who we, we think will be in the lineup. But I imagine this is going to be a bit stronger than some people would like. Probably has to be, which is the sad thing. Um, We'll 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 start with Napoli. I mean, I'll 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 look at the Rangers team because that might be more accurate in terms of a rotated team. But then I think they played Sassuolo, so we'll go through that team as well. Um, Alex Marengo, De Lorenzo can't speak. Uh, Ostergaard, Kim, Rui, and Dombele, Labotka, Elmas, Politano, Giovanni Simeone, and Raspadori. That was the rotated Rangers team, but they did beat. Sassuolo at the weekend 4-0 um, which was Maria De Lorenzo, Juan uh, Kim, Rui, Anguisa Labotka, Zielinski Lozano, Ossiman and Karatskelia I'm, I'm taking that as a win with that pronunciation um, yeah so obviously the Sassuolo game is to my knowledge as close as first team as can be Um Maybe Raspadori for one of the other uh, for for Lozano. I can't speak today, Carl. Um, is is it going to be somewhere in the middle? Because obviously Rangers, regardless how bad we are, even we beat Rangers, so it's a bit of a tougher test. Um, but are we see are we going to see the Aussie man who only just came back from injury? Are we going to see Cavaradona batter us again, <laughs> or are we going to see the Endombeles and, and um, Ostergaards of this world? What do you reckon? I do think that they will change quite a few around because, like I say, obviously that big, big game against Atalanta is going to be the priority here. Uh, I, I mean, the chances of us winning 4-0, even if it's you know a really rotated side for them and us at our biggest strength is probably pretty low anyway, to be honest. So you would imagine they'll get away with playing a few, um, let's say, Champions League regulars just to, just to have that sort of continuity and spine maybe, but then bringing in... Like for example, Raspadori, Simeone, I think both of them start again. Probably Politano again, so it could be like the entire front three is not starting. And then maybe they bring on one or two. We've seen uh, quite a lot of managers like to just keep that little bit of rhythm and involvement and maybe give them 25 mm-hmm. minutes instead of you know, 60, 70. Uh, so I do think that there'll be changes. You know, There's no reason for them to risk it, basically. Uh, it's, it's very, very unlikely that anything untoward happens in terms of them losing out in top spot, whether they even think that that'll make that much difference anyway, given some of the teams who are, who are top and finishing second at the moment, it's uh, pretty much up for debate. I think uh, the one, maybe a couple of areas of the pitch that maybe it's sort of worth looking at and seeing that they might make changes. Obviously Rahmani is out injured at the minute who would usually be first choice centre back with Kim Min Jai. Um, so Ostergaard's coming in, or Jesus, depending on which one they want to play uh, against Atalanta, maybe for a bit more rhythm and minutes for them. So instead of obviously resting the, the player who is going to be playing there, they actually want that partnership to be getting a, a little bit more continuity and understanding because obviously Kim and Jai is a, a new signing anyway. So mm-hmm. Ostergaard and him perhaps, but then if they want Jesus for a bit more experience and know how, then probably him. Yeah, see, it might be an interest. So, I mean, if you look at the midfield, I mean, Lobotka, Anguissa, Zielinski is basically... It's almost like a Liverpoolish midfield. Obviously, Anguissa's... He was just always impressive for me at Fulham. And I know he had weird spells under Parker where I think he basically wanted to go and he was dropped a little while, but... It's just odd to me. Like, I know Napoli's a big team and stuff like that, but I'm surprised nobody in the Premier League just fancied a go. Because the, all the materials were there, and I think now he's getting talked about as one of the better midfielders in in, um, in Europe. Zielinski, we were obviously linked with for so long, and, and Lobotka, I don't know too much about, but he looked very good against us. Um, but yeah, that that midfield, and Endombele, nobody knows. <laughs> nobody knows what you get on the day, but he can either be the best midfielder in the world, or 
the corpse of Fabinho at the minute. Yeah, I mean, look, how we are at the minute in midfield, Dombele could be like man of the match and score six against us, to be perfectly honest, because all the strengths that he does have, obviously, ball carrying, progression through the lines and just boshing people out of the way while he's running 50 yards and all the rest of it, we can't cope with that. We're rubbish with that at the minute. So you can certainly see that there's a reason to start him from a tactical perspective, even if they didn't want to... uh, rotate heavily anyway so I wouldn't be surprised to see him in Lobotka's the one they've tended to keep in place uh, certainly from the start of the games he's really really important for their uh, ball progression and playing out from the back everything else he's, he's I, I think he's such a good defender really really good defensive midfielder Elmas would probably play it you would imagine again just for a bit of freshness and keeping people back for uh, for the Atalanta game so it's it's a nice position for Spalletti to be in, to be honest, because he just doesn't really have any kind of pressure on him at all. He can rotate, and if they lose, no big deal. He can probably afford to leave out three or four players and bring them on because of the increased number of substitutes, keep everybody ready for the weekend. Uh, the only thing I haven't actually looked at, I might, might just do that quickly while we talk about the next piece of the uh, build-up, is if any of their players are one yellow card away from a suspension in the knockout games, because right. obviously that would uh, that would impact on whether they play or not, you would imagine. Mm-hmm. No, that's quite interesting. I'll, I'll ask you about Spalletti in a second as you Google that in the background, but it's um, it, it, it's, we, it's weird with, um, with Napoli, because I think I still kind of look, look at them as the Sari team, and it is interesting that their best season in, in the little while has came with the outing of Koulibaly, Alan left, obviously, Jorginho left, obviously, a few years ago, now both of them, um, Mertens, uh, Insigne, etc. So it, it is an interesting development. I mean, Kim looks like a fantastic player. I had no idea about him until he moved to Napoli, obviously. Uh, Marais, I remember him being highly spoke of when he was breaking through as a goalkeeper. But it just looks like they've maybe finally got the squad to compete on multiple competitions in terms of that, because it always seemed to be there was an 11 and then it was kind of meh behind that. But um, it it just looks like a really fun team. I'm not going to lie, I don't watch much of Serie A, but if there was a team I'd probably watch, it would be either Atalanta or or Napoli, so it's nice to know I can watch them at the weekend unless they're on at the same time as us. Um, if they are, you still might want to watch that game too. Perfect. That's, that's true, yeah. That's true. <laughs> um, yeah, look, I, I think we, we said before uh, on last time that, that we, we were getting ready to play them. To be honest, this is such a massive opportunity for them uh, in Serie A because of the lack of consistency some of the other sides have, the lack of ability that some of the other sides have, to be honest. Obviously, AC Milan from last year are the, the ones that they'll really be competing against. Atalanta actually had a fairly slow start this year and have just come back really, really well uh, up until what, two weeks ago when they lost to Lazio. So I, I think that this is such an extraordinary opportunity for Napoli. And you can imagine that if come I don't know, February or something like that, they are still two, three points clear, maybe even a little bit more. At the minute, it's five, but... You know, it might not be that that for, for the entirety of the next three months or whatever. They probably are going to focus on that because it's been obviously a long time without real sustained domestic success. They probably see a massive opportunity, not just for this season, but to establish themselves now. It's like Juventus obviously have not come back. You know, they, they appointed Pirlo, it didn't go well. Allegri has come back, that's not going well. They they must be like at least at least another managerial change and two years before they can really rebuild themselves as a a title fight inside certainly with the, the work they've done on the transfer market over the last few mm-hmm. years it's going to be longer than that and the the top managers are not really there at the other um, some of the other sides to be perfectly honest like, I like Pioli at Milan obviously but uh, Simone Inzaghi's not completely proven at uh, Inter and he's obviously at the minute below Lazio his former club so there's a lot going on in Italy at the minute in terms of the possibility to to establish yourself as one of the really, really top sides. Like Roma, Mourinho, you would have thought this would be probably a perfect opportunity for him and his way of playing to get them suddenly in the top two. But mm-hmm. they're, they're eighth. They're not doing that well. They don't play that consistently. It's, it's a very, very open league below the top three, I would say, this season. Um, but Napoli are just flying. The, the, prefer, the performance levels as much as the results, like you, you speak about they'd be one of the ones you play. And that's because how they look at those highlights and how they look when you get shown the goals and all the rest of it is how they play all game long. 
It really, mm-hmm. really is a, a fantastic way of playing the Spalletti. It's got them so, so quickly as well. That's the really impressive thing about it. And they're really well organised and everybody works very, very hard. It could all implode at a moment's notice. We know that with some of the players in the Napoli squad, previous Spalletti teams. But I think that this is such a big opportunity. They can't possibly pass it up and they will be very, very focused on that. Whether that means that, like I say, later in the year they more focus on that and not so much on Europe, I'm not sure because it'll depend obviously if they suddenly find themselves 14 points clear or something like that because everybody else drops mm-hmm. off or well, they can afford to uh, you know, focus more on, on the Champions League and who, who they get in their draw will obviously be a, a big factor in that as well. Yeah, you mean, we, well, we mentioned Spalletti there. I mean, you look at the top two managers and I'm not sure about Purely as well, I can't remember where he was before Milan, but I know Gasparini's had chances at Inter, didn't he? And Spalletti obviously had chances at Roma and Inter, if I remember correctly. It, it, is Serie A just a league that's kind of almost gone full circles? I think everyone stereotypically associates it with very defensive football, but you look, it's the two most attacking managers in the league um, that are top of the league. Is it, is it kind of just taking a little longer for that to maybe adopt more modern football? Because... You mentioned Jose there, Roma sat in sixth. Um, they do have a game in hand, to be fair, but I know Simeone and Xandi is not exactly a boring free at the back coach, but even Sari's quite somewhat attacking compared to it, and I'd probably say Pioli is as well from what I've seen of, of Milan. But is it like, let's just say, is dinosaurs like Allegri losing their time in, in um, Serie A, you reckon? Uh, maybe. I mean, I think it's fair to say that Serie A was a little bit behind. German football, English football, and even Spanish football in terms of you know, being very, very aggressive and transition play and all the rest of it. Not every single side, obviously, but as a as an overall league. But I think that really just the quality of players there has decreased quite a lot over the last 10, 15 years, probably. They don't really have the spread of really, really elite talent that they did have in the, in the 90s, in the early 2000s, certainly. Um it's just, you know, that's what happens with leagues, isn't it? It's quite cyclical. You're kind of seeing a lot of the same thing now in, in La Liga as well, outside of Real Madrid and Barcelona, who are rebuilding themselves anyway. There's not the spread of players that there was before. That's probably a Europe-wide thing, but it does go in you know, phases and circles for, for different leagues and different times. And sometimes it takes a, a new challenger to sort of build themselves up and then everyone else realises oh, we should have been a lot better this year. We have to do a lot better starting from now. And they'll go big. They'll attract a new manager. They'll, they'll, they'll spend a little bit extra. <laughs> yeah, exactly that. It's, you're not wrong. It was exactly that in the Premier League. It was such a big opportunity that everybody else realised they passed up. And since then, it's the elite managers have come in. It's you know, It goes full circle. And Premier League football obviously then has the money as well over other leagues and probably applying it a bit better than they did 15 years ago as well. Yeah. Um, on the manager then, because obviously Spalletti's was kind of one of them names that was about Serie A for a little while, and I don't think he was pulling up too many trees, but it just seemed to have clicked perfectly at Napoli. I know I remember Dave saying he doesn't particularly rate him. I mean, what, what's your thoughts on him? To be honest, his first spell at Roma was, was pretty decent as well. Um, it was really, he only came to my attention at Roma at the beginning because it was. Uh, basically him who had obviously to oversee Totti not being in the side and that kind of thing. Uh, but at Zenit, I watched him a lot. I watched um, a lot of Russian football and covered the, the Russian Premier League at that time. It was sort of late 2000s, I think probably about 2007, 8, 9, that sort of timeline when I was covering it. So he, he, he did very, very well there. It was always a very, very easily identifiable Spalletti side. And like I say, at Inter, I thought, I thought he did quite good work in the first year or so anyway. Um, but he has a had had sorry, he has had a habit during his career of like starting very, very well and then fading out reasonably quickly. And I think that that's probably something which you can say about a lot of the coaches in Italy who are on that sort of merry go round and they seem to all manage like Fiorentina and Roma and Inter and you know, Juve for one year and all the rest of it, and loads of them seem to overlap. He hadn't really had too many top, let's say, uh, opportunities or jobs other than that Roma and Inter Milan one. So I think mm-hmm. going away outside of Italy was probably really good for him in that respect. I'm really surprised that it took two years for him after the Inter Milan job to get another one. Maybe he just didn't like the ones that were on offer. But like you say, he's seems to have come in now to, to this Napoli side at a very, very 
opportune moment for for the team's regeneration for himself to be able to build a new side really after all those established faces left uh, and it's just really worked well and I think it does go to show sometimes that teams when they when they do stay together for quite a long time and they've got really good players that's fine and they do well but it can be a little bit limiting as well if you keep relying on the same faces if you keep looking to what were your best players three years ago to still be your best players maybe actually sometimes replacing them is the better bet it doesn't always work out obviously and a lot of other things have to come together for that to be the case but it's worked for them and maybe we uh maybe we need to take a hint yes uh so we'll we'll switch over to the liverpool view then because i think we both expect napoli to change a bit especially with the top of top of the table clash at the weekend um but I'll, I'll I'll quote something from Klopp's press conference here, <clears throat> um, which is basically going on now. Uh, this is on Neil Jones' Twitter, if you want to read it yourself without my stupid voice. Um, if you watch football, you will know that Napoli are in incredible shape, maybe the informed team in Europe at the moment. So this is not a game for massive rotation. We want to win the game. Um... Yeah, so you, you can when we did the general votes of the game, Cal, you, you, you mentioned we'd probably go stronger than anybody expected. And he's basically just said that there, but I, I was fully coming in here saying, let's start Bassetich and all the crack, but that seems like it won't happen now. But I still kind of want it to, because I don't want to see our midfield. I mean, that's how it's going, but let's get into Liverpool. Um, what can we do? Callagher in goal. Yeah, Phillips centre back with Adrian, Adzitic yes. and uh, Mrozek and Liam Hughes in midfield. Uh, sign back Titi Camera and Sander Vesterveld to play up front and rest everybody else for the weekend. David James left back. Let's get yes, it. Um, definitely. Absolutely. What can we do? Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's probably the yeah. question, isn't it? In terms of people who could come in to rotate, I mean, you look at a Bench, obviously, in the last match and gives you the biggest clue, I suppose. Jones, Henderson and Milner. I mean, would we be that surprised to see the three of them come in? Milner hasn't started in midfield since, I think, the Napoli game where we had absolutely hammered. But early on in the season, obviously, he was playing a lot. Uh, So I I wouldn't be surprised if all three of them start, to be perfectly honest. Um, I don't actually know if, if if I don't know if Klopp addressed anything about not bringing on other subs against Leeds. I don't know if he was asked about that after the match because obviously mine just got switched off in a fury and then everything ignored uh, for, for the rest of the weekend, to be perfectly honest. So whether there was anything on you know, Oxlade-Chamberlain or Cavalier not being called upon or anything like that. I didn't hear anything, no. no. Anyone, yeah. anyone in the chat um, heard anything? Yeah. I mean, Jones is obviously still working his way back, so this is a, a normal game for him to come back into the lineup. I think, again, nothing at stake beyond the impossible task of winning 4-0, I'd say. Um, it, it's not going to happen. Let's let's be <laughs> pretty clear on that, uh, unless there's an incredible turnaround in organisation, determination, clinical edge from us, and aptitude from them. I'm not overly hopeful that any of them are going to be on show. So, I think it's probably a game you want to bring Kelleher in for, I suppose, because if we... I, I assume we're still going to harbour ambitions of trying to do a cup run. You know, it's not the thing that fans are going to want right now, but we we do have the cups coming up, and Kelleher is going to play in the League mm-hmm. Cup. He's been out injured. He probably doesn't have that much you know, rhythm or match time, so it seems a sensible one to play him in this and then again in the cup. Get a couple of appearances, get a, his involvement back in. Maybe that won't be the case, and it'll be Allison plays as well, but it seems a, a reasonable one for me. Would that count as bullying and putting Kelleher in there? I mean, if I was him, I'd be wanting to play, even if they're just going to have all their starting lineup playing. Get some practice and show what you're capable of. That's true. Just train like a training session, 50 shots against you, why not? Um, just looking through Neil Jones's uh, Twitter to see if there's anything that jumps out. James Milner did the play a bit, so I, yeah, your probably assumptions right there that he's he's ready to play. Um, Ox and Naby obviously can't play, probably wouldn't anyway. Um, Kanata is seemingly back. Um, it's weird because he obviously came back that one game and then he got injured straight away. 
do we start him in this game and then maybe sub him off or something like that? Or do we just try and be overly cautious with him? Because Let's be honest, the, the league fucked. We can just play him whenever and easily and gradually get him back in. But to maybe have him against Napoli, I know we have more subs in both competitions now, but do you really want to play him potentially against Ossiman? Not really. I mean, it depends, doesn't it, on, on what his levels are. Obviously, being back on the bench at the weekend suggests he was physically ready to go. So as long as that injury is properly cleared up, I would probably start him. Um, on the one hand, I don't really want to play Gomez against Napoli again, given what happened last time and the fact that he's coming off the back of a, another mistake, obviously, in the last match. Oh, God, that's true. And the other thing is that I assume if Milner starts, it's going to be at right back for Trent. Are you that person who has everything? The coolest merch and those must-have fan threads? Well, over at our Anfield Index shop, we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection. From our popular range of bespoke design t-shirts, sweaters, hoodies and hats, to our signature edition mugs, prints and coasters, all provided with fast worldwide shipping. We have something for every red. We also stock official LFC merchandise, and are licensed with the Premier League and UEFA to sell official iron-on shirt badges and sleeve patches. As a listener to this podcast, you can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10. Just head over to anfieldindex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index. Rather than midfield. If they play Cavett Skellier against James Milner, it will be double figures. Well, again, I guess that's another reason that you want Canate uh, in because he's got obviously the recovery that's pace, and a bit more, uh, a bit more ability to barge, maybe even crouch Gallier off the ball. But I think we also have to note that uh, Milner did all right right back against Man City, and there are a few more determined people in the squad than him. So maybe just those two things put together, we'll see him have a at least a, a solid match. Just as angry Yorkshireness will do. Although he was a he's a bit of a train wreck when he came on it right back against Leeds. Um, but uh, not his yeah, I, I don't. Think, yeah, I don't think that's a, it was just a weird specific. Sub. Yeah, yeah, that's just an odd sub. Um, no, I can see the I can see the um, logic in playing Kanata there, but maybe we do sub him off early or something like that. If yeah. well, if the game goes and we Give just that, want to protect him. Fifteen. Oh God, <laughs> fucking. It's not, I was going to say it's November, it's not even November yet. <laughs> Fucking Jesus Christ. Um, oh, dearie mate. Right, what's around it? You mentioned Milner at right back there. I'd probably agree with that. But does that mean Trent on the bench, or are you pushing Trent further forward? No, if we're not That's rotating The day of dream. <laughs> no, if we're not rotating heavily, then I'm not going to see Trent in the, in the midfield. Just a rest. True, yeah. Uh, left back, obviously, Robbo's kind of been good the last couple of games. He was, well, he was leashed. He's probably one of the least shit against Leeds. Let's put it that way, rather as, than as, good. As one of the uh, few potentially informed players, I'd probably leave yes. him for this one. Yeah, and then Simi. Who do we play at the week? Who do we play at the weekend? Us. Yeah, as a Spurs. Oh God, um, they've been awful recently. So there's a free three points for them. Um, <laughs> Jesus, yeah, Simicast can play against them, who cares? Um I think I think one yeah. thing to note in terms of Liverpool's lineup for the Napoli game is that we've because this one's a Tuesday, we don't play Spurs till Sunday. That's a full five days. Uh, oh god. Yeah, Go on holiday lads. Yeah, so it's it's a very unusual uh, circumstance for us. It's you know, one extra day does make a bit of a difference in terms of uh, the recovery time and obviously the preparation time. Not that the preparation is making any difference for us at all whatsoever at the minute, but I just mean it's more likely that we'll probably see a few more uh, back-to-back starters. No, that's a good point. That is a good point, actually. Um, and if they literally want to go on holiday for four days, that yeah. don't do any training, because it seriously doesn't matter, lads. Just just bugger off for a few days, it'll do. Um, yeah, so I think we've got our back four there, unless you want to put Gomez at left centre-back and be, and be wild. No, um, no. Yeah. And what, what do you make of Virgil? He seemed, to me, he seems to... I think he was all right against Leeds, but he was just kind of surrounded by shitness. <laughs> I don't think he was... I think he was okay. Yeah, it wasn't his worst game. It wasn't his best game of the season. That's yeah. pretty much all I'd say about him. I think uh, 
think it's been decent in a few more games recently than than poor. But mm-hmm. you know, we need players like him to be not just decent. We need him to be leading and, and pushing everyone else to be better. You know, it's not it's not a coincidence yeah. that one of Van Dijk's best games in the season, Man City, other people played well as well. It, I know it's like you know they mm-hmm. had to in that game, but it also makes a difference to other people. Yeah, yeah, very true. Um, into midfield, then you, you mentioned you're surprised we've not stuck with the four four two. I mean, does that mean you want to go back to it, or do you think Klopp will soldier on with this weird diamond thing that clearly doesn't work? I mean, the diamond, the way we're playing at the minute is not not good. I love playing as it, with a diamond, but it has to be in certain situations and with certain types of players, especially on the sides, they make it. Um, Thiago doesn't belong on the side of a diamond. If Thiago's going to be anywhere in a diamond, it's the top or the bottom. And then you've got to have, you know, depending on which role you use him in, it's got to be a very, very specific skill set, either ahead of him or behind him. Uh, I don't want to see him on the side of a diamond again. That's That's not... Yeah, but we if we had to play with Diamond for whatever reason, we probably would have been better off playing Firmino on the side just for the work rate and the industry and all the rest of it and letting Diago do bits behind uh, the forwards. But because obviously we do switch to a, a three in play with a little bit of pressing at times or a little bit of trying to close out the passing lanes, if not actual pressing, then it kind of has to be Firmino still. So no, I would go back to the four four two, especially if Diago's going to be in the lineup again. I think Henderson comes back in, and then I'd probably put Jones out on the left. Elliot right mid? Yeah. Yeah. No, I'd, I'd, I'd probably agree with that. I think Fabinho is... He's basically a corpse at this dismal. Absolutely dismal. Jesus Christ. Like, I, I know I asked the question at the start, whether it's system or, or individual. I think it is a bit of both, but fucking hell. Even when people are near him. They just toddle by him. <laughs> Fucking dreadful. I don't. Um, there obviously is. I think that it, there must be an, an injury there, an issue, uh, some, something that's hampering his mobility. I've said it a few times, and if it's not, it's a big, big worry. I think because what what is this decline from? It's not just a decline in uh, like technique, it's like misplacing passes. This is like turning circle. It's awareness. It's tracking. It's loads and loads of things. It's a big, big concern. And, the ability to walk. Yeah. <laughs> uh, hopefully now that his political career is done, or him and his wife's political career is done with the Brazil election, maybe maybe he can refocus on football. That's, I don't know. I don't know. Hopefully. Um, Look, I've, yeah. got, I've got to be honest. I would be taking Firmino to the World Cup. Right as it is right now. He's not even the starter anyway. Uh, that's no, I, I was having a discussion with it, and I, I couldn't think of many Brazilian midfielders, but it was like... Fred and Casemiro are the first ones, aren't they? But then you've got Bruno Gimaresh. These are just Premier League ones off the top of my head. Joelinton's a lot better than Fabinho at the minute. Um, Douglas Louise, and he's at a fucking tragic club as well. He's better form than Fabinho. Um, and you'll obviously know more players from the continent than me. Um, but yeah, is, I, I just zero this... juristic, um, justification. Yeah, uh, there is this uh, guy who did used to get in the Brazil squad. He's not been in, obviously, for a good few months now. His name is Arto. You might have heard of him. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think he's well, Where's he either. at? <laughs> where's he, is he at, at nowadays? He is at the uh, Kirby uh, training facility on the uh, massage benches and so on. Ah. Yeah. Is, that, is that from a day off from his UVID? Is? Um, <laughs> okay, now... Um, yeah, it's not pretty Brazil's midfield, is it? But maybe with Bruno coming through, um, it might get better. Yeah, even though he doesn't deserve to go. Absolutely not. And that, that may do him the world of good for us. Um, just having two months off, because I'm, I'm guessing Brazil would get to at least the semi-finals, unless something goes majorly wrong. So it would have been a long campaign, even if he wasn't playing in them games. Um, so yeah, but we know, is it Tite, the manager, he does weird stuff, so maybe he just the regular lads just get picked. Um, so he might end up going, but he doesn't deserve to. Uh, yeah, I agree with Henderson and Thiago. I don't think that's the ideal midfield, but... Nope, it's not. No, but it's the only option. We, we can't put Milner in a midfield too. Jones in a midfield too was not it. <laughs> um, and yeah, left mid, it's Jones or Carvalho, and Jones is a bit more experienced, isn't it? So, yeah, I'd probably agree with that. Yeah, I think he's playing better anyway. He's had limited involvement, obviously, but I think he's started off all right. So, a bit more game time, I think. 
Yeah, plus we need him in midfield to get him up to speed. Um, the front two then, because I think Bobby has played quite a lot, so maybe he could do with a rest, even though there is like a long turnover, as you say. But, but Darwin obviously sprints a lot, so maybe he needs a rest as well. Moore will obviously play because Moore's not allowed to get injured. Uh, who who would you play up front with more? I'd like to see it with Darwin in a, in a more established two than the way you think we're seeing at the min. Um, so yeah, what what do you reckon? Yeah, I would do the same. I'd play Darwin. Um, yeah, probably gonna have to bring one or both of them off anyway. Uh, so mm-hmm. again, it, it should make too much difference. What we want to see is a bit more performance level off the ball. What we want to see is a bit more clinical edge in the final third. You got to keep playing them for that to happen, basically. No, absolutely. Uh, is there an argument to go back to four three three? Just try and contain it. I mean, it didn't though. Obviously, I mean, if 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 that was a possibility in terms of you know we've done it before and it's worked, yeah, sure, of course it would be. But it, it wasn't containing people. It was an abomination. And the last time we played mm-hmm. it, and it was an abomination. It was against Napoli. So I don't think at the moment True. there is an argument for it, especially yeah. while we don't have a, a defensive midfielder. No, that's very true. That is very true. Um, I don't even know where to go from this. I don't want to go to predictions just yet, but in terms of duels in the game, then obviously we're not sure what the Napoli team will be because we expect them to, to rotate a bit more. But will it be the midfield two against a player like, let's guess, I've Engisa or Ndombele? I think they do somewhat similar stuff, but just in different styles. It, 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 is it containing one of them? Because Zielinski will just do neat things on the other side. Containing that more aggressive midfielder is that is that the key thing here? I think so. Uh, that's going to be obviously one of them. I think whoever plays on the sides of attack for them are going to be very very mobile, very you know, obviously trying to cut in fields, get down the line to to create things for probably Simeone centre forward. So it is really a team who is very very high on confidence right now. So the speed of play and the speed of movement off the ball is incredible, and that's the biggest thing that we're going to have to to deal with in terms of our defence against their attack um, we've we've not been good enough tracking runners, we've not been good enough staying with really basic things like passing someone over or going with them or just just doing things that stop people scoring against us basically that's that's what it comes down to uh, but then yeah the, the, the line breaker from deep is always the Zag, uh, Angisa or Ndombele on that right hand side of the three so Stopping them, which is presumably going to be Thiago's side. Um, I can imagine there'll be a yellow card there at some point, if that's the case. But uh, it, it is uh, definitely something that they will look to utilise against us because, like I say, we've we've been shocking at it so far this year. And if you're any kind of know, opposition analyst or just pre-game scout for, for any opponent that Liverpool are playing, that's probably the first thing you're picking out. Runners from deep, over and over again continually fail to track them, continually fail to stop them either getting shots away or making the overlap or putting the through ball or anything at all. We've been rubbish at it this season. Did you find the yellow card count? Oh, yeah. And... Yeah, we're all fine. They, the only one for them who is in uh, danger of missing if they get booked is Politano. He plays up front and he's a backup forward anyway, so I doubt they'll be worried about it. Is anyone in bother for us? No. We all have only one yellow card apiece. So obviously, that's because we <laughs> we can't physically tackle people. Yeah. Probably, <laughs> um, Hilda has yeah. one yellow, which I was quite surprised about because I, I seem to remember him making about eight dreadful tackles in Europe this season. But yeah, it's only one yellow. Milner was never getting booked in a Rangers game. That was just allowed. Although he might have been booked in a Rangers game. <laughs> um, no. But I, I actually can't tackle either. They just give you the ball. And yeah. Napoli, we didn't have the ball. So who were we going to tackle? What were we going to do? Um, yeah, no, that's good to know. That's good to know. We can kind of not piss about with anything like that. Um, oh God, defensively, I suppose it depends if they play a first-choice attack or a second-choice attack. I mean, I don't know much about Giovanni Simeone, but I remember Ossiman battering us. Mm-hmm. Is Simeone? How does Simeone differ to Osimhen in terms of threat? Is he more a, oh, yeah, he's a, more a ten or is he a nine? No, he's, he's a nine, but he's he's a he's a ground terrier. Let's say he's right. You know, he's not going to give South South American. <laughs> yeah, he's uh, 
I mean, he has aspects of Luis Suarez's game, if you if you want to put it in terms of a Liverpool mm-hmm. or former Liverpool forward. You know, he's someone who will work very, very hard. He's always happy to try and take people on by bouncing it off their ankles. He, he loves you know, getting very, very close inside the box for, for cutbacks and short-range opportunities, that kind of thing. He's a decent build-up player. He can work perfectly fine as a, a second forward. and He spent a lot of time not playing as a nine as well, whether it's from the sides or slightly mm-hmm. deeper, but he probably will lead the line through the middle and... Uh, if you give him a few chances, he's going to score because, one, he's decent, but two, he's also very, very high in confidence. Like I said, even the backups at the minute are scoring goals and playing really well and contributing to where they are, top of the league domestically and in Europe. So this this is a side where, even if it is the backups, the threat is still there. The style of play is still there. It's not like watching Liverpool where we you know, rotate 10 people for the League Cup and you can't tell that they actually play for Liverpool. This is a side where people are coming in and still doing the same job. It's very, very good. Yeah. Um, I'll ask you about Raspadori as well before we go on to Kravat Skelly because I want to focus on him for a little sec as well. Raspadori's obviously had like a little bit of a streak. I think especially people in the UK, we've obviously battered. He scored against us. I think he scored against Rangers, but he scored against the England national team as well, which was a really nicely taken goal. Is he... I think Dave and a few others I've heard mention Scamacca as the future of Italian's front line. Going to West Ham is risky, but Raspadori to me seems like a really quality young player as well. Is he, is he more of a well? He's probably taken the better career move rather than going to West Ham. Um, it's probably the first argument there, but he, he looks like a real talent. Yeah, I, I like him very, very much. And again, he's another one who can sort of play any role in attack you want. Really, he can lead the line. He can play from the left hand side. I don't think he's quite as good. He can play as a second striker. Very, very good there. Uh I, I like him a lot because he's much more the type of forward that I like compared to Dave obviously prefers the um, well, people who could play in a big, big a, a Simeone forward, <laughs> basically. That's what he wants. Yeah. So uh, it's just a different type of attacker, isn't it? They play very, very well as a partnership for the reason for the reason that they complement each other, not because they're the same type of player. So I think Raspadori definitely fits an Napoli much more than he would do a West Ham. But then if it was a, a case of signing for... Uh, let's say a, a team who have a lot of pace or deliveries from wide. You've got to remember West Ham were trying to sign people like Kostic in the summer, who's one of the best crosses in Europe. So you want a more aggressive, aerially dominant, powerful sort of front man. Uh, so Skamaka was obviously the better choice out of the two for them, whether or not yeah, yeah, they were yeah. interested in Raspadori. But I like him very much. I think he'll he'll do good things, and I think there's a lot more to come from him. Whether he can be you know, one of the, the very, very elite uh, We'll see. I'm not sure he's quite that good, but definitely a really good sort of second tier forward. And for them to have him as a not necessarily guaranteed starter is kind of along the same level mm-hmm. as us having Jota, for example. Someone who can come in and start as many times as you need him to, but is also, you know, he's got more growth in his game. So if other people are starting ahead of him at certain stages of the season, that's that's okay because you know you're still going to get the work rate and the really good talent when he comes off the bench. You can have an impact in matches and he's capable of starting and you don't lose a level of quality, really. No, yeah, he does look, he looks very interesting. Um, how about Skellier then? I, I, I was listening to a podcast uh, and they were talking about Ballon d'Or rankings and they were talking about how he may be up there if he continues this form. Obviously, he's been terrifying in that regard, but for him to get in that conversation when we've seen the resurgence of Messi, Mbappe, Neymar, and PSG, but that's PSG, who cares? Um, De Bruyne, Haaland, uh, Real Madrid lads will always be in there. Who knows what Barcelona will do? Is it is that conversation very, very much too early? Because... I've only seen him a couple of times, and he's just terrifying. But if he does this over a whole season, I, you literally, physically literally cannot ignore that person because he's just terrifying to watch. Of course, but very, very few players put it together across the course of an entire season. Uh, we'll see, yes. obviously, if he does. And if he does, then amazing, because we'll watch it all. Not so amazing, because we have to play against him a couple of times. Um, I mean, in terms of actually winning the Ballon d'Or, firstly, they've got to win the league, and secondly, they've probably got to win the Champions League, let's be honest. so Yes, plus he's do. not doing anything for Georgia. Yeah. So, you know. so if they do both of those things, then okay, fine. I mean, even like with Georgia, you, you mentioned them in, in uh, Nations League, I think he scored five in the six group games, which is not bad going, you know, even if it's uh, obviously relative to the level that they're at. I think they're 
C, I think they're in Group C. Can't really remember now. But anyway, his, his scoring rate was ridiculous there as well. So definitely keep watching him. Definitely keep seeing how how good he can be on a week to week basis. And he, he he just looks like such a complete player at the minute already as well. That's the that's the most amazing thing about it. He's settled into the team really really well, taken to the league and torn it apart straight away. It's it's a rare combination and the consistency so far has been good but let's see by the time we get to the World Cup and then how he restarts after the break and all the rest of it mm-hmm. I think there has been rumours that Liverpool are looking for another forward and I'm, I'm not saying we'll sign someone like Kravatskelia but if we stick with this 4-4-2 I mean could we move Diaz to the right and then buy someone in in that mould of Kravatskely, or, or do you think we'll be looking for someone more like a a Jota who covers three three of the positions and a bit cheaper? Uh, honestly, I think I sort of mentioned this about the midfield as well. Before we start talking about who we can want to buy, we have to find a, a defined way of playing, and we don't have that. Yes. The there's no point in signing any forward or any midfielder really until you know how you're playing, because it's going to have a knock on effect on. Not just where Salah plays, for example. Is he now going to be a centre-forward you know, all the time or most of the time? Are we going to stick with a two-man attack? Are we going to play one behind? Or is it going to be the split strikers and the diamonds? Is it, if that's the case, probably don't need another forward because Diaz then probably plays as a 10 or one of the forwards. He's not going to play on the left side of a diamond, for example. So you need yeah. to know how you're going to play uh, positionally, more often than not. Obviously, not every single game. You don't have to stick to the same, but more often than not. We need to know how we're going to play off the ball because that's going to impact on the type of forward that we get. Uh, if it's going to be a you know a hard work and wide man who's going to have to get back into midfield lines. Kvarch Gelly is playing left side of a 4-3-3 and he's a forward. You can't play all those players all the way across that line. You know, a Diaz who's going to be a forward, a Salah who's a forward, Darwin who's a forward, Kvarch Gelly who's a forward and just leave four of them up top all the time. That doesn't work. Mm-hmm. In the four four two, they have to be... Much of PSG. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and that's, that's a good reason why... In, 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 the, in, well, in League, yeah. in league <laughs> or no, I should say, yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, so there has to be really, really good balance off the ball as well. And obviously, it, this, not to say that Kvarch Gelly can't do that, but then you're going to detract from some of the other work that he can do in the final third, obviously. So... Yeah, you can sign who you want, but at the minute, I think it's it's probably good to acknowledge that we don't really have a set, successful way of being off the ball. We don't really have a set and successful way of defending at the minute. We don't really have a set and successful way of attacking game after game at the minute either, because it's still been a bit, you know, hit and miss. We've we've chopped and changed, and injury absences account for a bit of it, but. You know what else the results account for? If we're not in the Champions League, where are we going to get the money for these big signings from? Not from the owners. Um, that's a different podcast, and I will whinge later on at that. Um, Carl, I mean, final thoughts on the game then. I mean, obviously we'll lead into predictions as well, but what what do you want to see from this? Because, let's be honest, we're not going to win 4-0 and get top of the table, because that would be mental. And you'd have to ask a lot of questions of Napoli if that happened. Um, but is it just, I was going to say keep the score down, but that's just stupid. Is it just about being competitive in this game, considering the the way the last game went against us a lot? I mean, yeah, competitive. I mean, that should be every single game. It should be. There's no excuse for some of the lack of effort and energy that some of the players have had in some of the games this season. Never. And to be perfectly honest, some of the performances that we've seen this season, I would take whichever player's I'm talking about in those games out for the next one because it's just unacceptable. It shouldn't be there. Uh, what do I want to see from this game? Apart from that, organisation, uh, an ability to defend in proper groups and pairings and partnerships, uh, preferably Canate being very, very good and fit and able to come back into the team and be very, very fit and good on a long-term basis. Uh I'm not really looking for too much beyond that, to be honest. The build-up play, I don't think, is going to change too much. And like you said, the result, I mean, even if we win, the the likelihood of it being by an enormous scoreline is minuscule. So I'm not really looking for topping the group here. I'm looking for something to take into the Spurs match. I'm looking for something that shows that we're learning some lessons and we realise that what we've been doing is not working and is not acceptable. Because... Like you mentioned before, Tottenham have been really poor recently, playing very, very poorly. Did again at the weekend. 
But they're ahead of us in the league and they get results when they need them. Uh, and even if you know we, we, we go into that game and we're not in the greatest form, we should be confident about our opportunities to, to get a result there based on a couple of different things. One, the fact that they have a massive game in midweek. Like, huge. They have, a, you know, their group is the, the wide open one in midweek. They have obviously yes, one the Europa fewer... League group. Yeah, they have one fewer uh, day, obviously, to, to prepare and recover and all mm-hmm. the rest of it as well. And, like I say, they, they have not sorted out everything in their own team yet. Bouncing between three midfields and three up front and a few injuries to deal with and all the rest of it. So, there's, there's a game to be won there and you would like to think that at least this time it's a big game. The players should be up for it, blah, 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 like they were against Man City. And then we can worry about sorting out the, the Nottingham Forest and Leeds performances after that. It's just got to be one game at a time. And I think for this one, you just want to see the basic things that we can take into the next game. The organisation, the willingness to work hard, the defensive solidity, the cutting out stupid mistakes and energy, basically. Yeah. Uh, Nigel just asked a question and just before we go, I won't um I won't ignore him, but we we mentioned the midfielder, he's asking about Basetic. We mentioned rotation there. He, we we said and Klopp said in his press he's not gonna start, but getting him decent amount of minutes because yeah, he came on against Ajax and, and looked fine. Yeah, I would. I, I, I would see him thirty minutes or so. I would start him to be honest, because when yeah. you said the game's done, you know, I, I would be playing. Him and Adriana midfield, I don't care. <laughs> Just yeah, not not to you know, completely swipe away the game, obviously, because we we do have to utilize it at least to try and get back to some level of ability. But yes, I would play Badge Stitch. He can't have been worse than the players in training. He can't have been sorry. He can't have been worse in training than the players have been in the matches. So as long as he is, you know, showing oh, that he presumably looks like he's ready to play senior football and that, why not use this as an opportunity? I presume he'll start against Derby, but you know, maybe, I don't know where, where Keita is exactly in his recovery, but maybe Keita will be ready for some minutes against Derby. If so, that's one centre midfield spot or some minutes which are gone, which he might not get. Oxlade-Chamberlain obviously will be coming back in and need, need room domestically to, to get some minutes. So again, he might not get uh, one of those chances. So maybe this one in Europe where neither of those two are available, uh, probably at least one of the senior centre mids shouldn't be playing or shouldn't be uh, allowed to play or whatever you want to look at it. Then yeah, I, I would absolutely do so, and I wouldn't have a problem if it's you know him instead of Fabinho and Henderson instead of Thiago for this game or something like that, and see if we are ready to put Thiago and Fabinho back together for for Spurs or whatever it is. I, I would be absolutely fine to see him start and see where he is and see if he warrants a spot in this team. It's not. It's not usually my preference to put in a load of untested players in a, a badly performing team, but if people are not playing well, they also can't just be left in over and over and over and over. Yeah. Uh, Ox isn't um, registered for the Champions League, Nigel, so that, that's why we went with Henderson. Um, yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm with you, but just with Klopp and his press conference, he, he'll probably go strong, but no, I'm with you. Basetic, another child, Adrian, that's the diamond. Um God. Um, predictions then. What are you going with? I mean, there's not really too much reason to suggest that we'll win, is there? That's the big problem here. If we're predicting mm-hmm. based on actually what's happened recently, I'd probably 2-1 to Napoli, 3-1 to Napoli. We could rouse ourselves. We have players who are good. We shouldn't ignore that in the face of all this crapness that we're having to deal with. These players are capable of picking themselves up and beating both Napoli and Tottenham. Are they going to? There's not really any reason to suggest that'll be the case, so I'll go two one Napoli. Yeah, I'm thinking something similar. And I just noticed by being on the UEFA stats page that Salah has joint top goals in, in the competition yeah. and Jota has top assists as well. Jota has four so assists to the Champions League from two spots. <laughs> oh god. It's Thank Rangers. you, Rangers. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Rangers. <laughs> Jesus. Um yeah, maybe the maybe. Well, I don't want. No, I won't say anything positive because then Napoli uh, will just ruin my life. Um, but no, it is good to see Salah's actually got numbers when we've allowed him to play football. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I'd probably say something similar, like a two-one win uh, for Napoli. Maybe, maybe sneak a draw if both teams have. If it's 
a dead game at half time. Maybe we just have a nice kick about for the last half and just chill. Um, but yeah, I'm, I, I probably think the same. Um, anything to plug before we go, then, Carl? Uh, I have a piece on the ND which will be out Tuesday morning, which is uh, all the group's permutations and which groups to watch out for and which ones to completely ignore over the next two nights. Uh, I don't think too much else before the match. I'll just check out that Spurs group scene as that's the only one that's left. <laughs> um, absolutely. Um, I presume Dave will be back for the Spurs game because I'm sure you're sick of hearing me by now with all that jazz. Um, but hopefully Dave's back. Um, I don't think he's doing two-footed in that today, so if you're listening to that as well, um, he should hopefully be back Tuesday. Um, if he's not, I will do a daily red tomorrow um, and just look at the game and Klopp's presser a bit more detailed. But for everyone listening live in Discord, thank you. And for everyone listening later on, a big thank you as well to you. But hopefully, good result against Napoli and then on to Spurs. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Goodbye. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.